Welcome to Elevate Louisiana's Engage Videocast. Elevate Louisiana was founded in 2020 to empower women leaders throughout Louisiana by connecting and educating them on the challenges impacting our state with data-driven nonpartisan solutions to make a better future for Louisiana. Hi there, I'm Julie Stokes with Elevate Louisiana. In today's Engage Videocast, we're discussing healthcare access issues relating to various provider types. Our guests include Kathy Kleber, the former secretary of the Louisiana Department of Health and Hospitals, who currently serves as the representative of the Louisiana Medicaid Managed Care Organization Association, providing legislative and consulting services for the five Medicaid health plans in Louisiana. We also have Tracy Thompson, who served over 16 years of experience working as a regulatory and transactional healthcare lawyer, specializing in Medicaid reimbursement and telehealth, serving as the leader of federal and state advocacy for an international health system. Kathy and Tracy, welcome to the video cast today. Hi, Julie. Hi, Julie. Hi, welcome. Here. Welcome, Tracy. And to start off, I'd just like to give an overview of the landscape of healthcare in Louisiana, if that's okay. We'll start with that. Uh, over the last several years, Louisiana, all industries in Louisiana have faced a lot of challenges. Healthcare, however, has been hit harder than most, um, primarily because of the COVID pandemic, along with the um, storms and disasters Louisiana has faced over the last couple of years. Onset of the COVID pandemic, um, exasperated all the problems that we already were facing in healthcare. We, we have tried very hard to provide affordable quality healthcare to its citizens. We have a significant amount of rural and impoverished residents who cannot get the necessary healthcare for themselves or their family members. And also we have an underserved elderly population. In addition, we've identified at a very high concerning level of racial disparities that must be addressed. U.S. News and World Report ranks Louisiana 46 in the country based on its access to care, quality of care, and the overall health of the Louisiana population. And although the public and private sectors have worked very hard to combat these racial disparities and healthcare disparities so prevalent in Louisiana, there's a lot more work that needs to be done. Um, including our most vulnerable populations to assure that they have access to quality care, no matter what their age, their race, financial status, or the location in our state. COVID-19 has shined a spotlight on some of the critical issues facing our state. At Elevate, we work to support nonpartisan efforts that will help our state to overcome some of the major deficiencies within the healthcare industries. The priorities we have identified have been significant issues for Louisiana even before the pandemic, and of course more so since the pandemic arrived in 2020. The challenges the state faces have made these issues much more critical to the health and well-being of our citizens. Although there are a myriad of challenges that we could address, mm -hmm. um, certainly Elevate has chosen to prioritize the issue of workforce shortages, which is significant, and, and Tracy, I think you're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. The need to continue to support the growth and utilization of telehealth, which is significant, especially in areas where there's broadband inaccessibility, and also the important issue of long-term care in Louisiana. Tracy, you want to take over? Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Kathy, for that. As she indicated, as Kathy indicated, 
Elevate has uh, determined that we have several key priorities to focus on for this year, one of them being the workforce and the shortages that we are experiencing in Louisiana and obviously that is being felt really across the country. Um, although, you know, Louisiana has had a long history of workforce shortages, it really has been a significant issue that has risen to one of the top issues among our healthcare um, uh, providers in the state uh, after we began to see the impact of the pandemic and the fact that it really has become such a great problem for our workforce uh, among our caregivers um, and our caregivers across the state. Um, the state's diminishing healthcare workforce um, is a major issue that continues to grow and challenge our care providers um, who do not really have uh, the requisite staff that they need to care for the patients that are really overburdening and coming to the hospitals or to other care facilities to try to get treatment. Um, and then, you know, the staff levels are at such a low rate that they're not able to staff the beds that they have currently to provide the care that is needed. Um, and that is very, very, um, uh, it's become a, an urgent thing here in Louisiana and it's a big, big challenge. Um, proactive screenings uh, for, um, you know, that are invaluable for things like cancer prevention and early detection are uh, no longer an immediate appointment away like they used to be. Um, now patients have to wait six to eight months because of the staff um, the levels that are just unable to be there to really to make those appointments possible. Um, in addition, uh, providers are being uh, put in the position of trying to match wages that are uh, being inflated to attract the workers that we do have um, from competitors across the state and across the country. Uh, there are uh, staffing agencies and others, uh, you know, flex agencies that nursing agencies that are uh, looking for travel nurses that are uh, offering exorbitant bonuses and high uh, wages to uh, get the staff that is just really needed to be here in Louisiana to help our providers give the care that they need. Um, we are also, because of the pandemic, um, experiencing worker uh, burnout. Uh, our, our frontline providers really are experiencing a high level of mental and behavioral health issues because they have been the front lines of this pandemic for you know, a couple of years now with no end in sight. So we really have a lot to do in this area and this is why Elevate has really wanted to get in front of this as a key priority. And we are committed to working to continue to support and initiate policies that will address these shortages and um, uh, that, that presently limit access to care that's so vital in our state. Uh, the other uh, key issue that we have addressed at Elevate Louisiana is the uh, continuation of the use and growth of telehealth and telemedicine services in our state. Virtual care um, has become a big priority for our providers and we have seen that it has really become necessary to um, the growth and continued care to our uh, residents uh, across our state. Um, with the emergence of COVID-19, uh, the healthcare industry has been required to quickly adapt methods to the, enable caregivers to provide uh, services remotely to those patients that are unable to either make it to the bricks and mortar facilities or um, are 
really uh, not wanting to enter facilities because of the issue of, of COVID spread and um, sickness that, that would um, entail potentially. Um, there are a lot of emergency policies and regulations, the public health emergency, for example, that was issued on the federal level uh, has given a lot of waivers and flexibilities that have enabled our healthcare providers to overcome some of the barriers to uh, utilizing telemedicine, telehealth services in the past. Um, there have been, uh, you know, reimbursement waivers and flexibilities and um, access uh, flexibilities that have enabled hospitals and uh, patients to access care where they were not able to in the past because of location, I mean, the location or the, or the provider. So hopefully uh, we will continue to see these waivers and flexibilities uh, continue into the future. And, uh, you know, what we have heard this, this uh, today, I think, is that the uh, public health emergency will continue. Right now it's set to expire on January 16th, but we have some uh, thoughts from uh, some of our uh, federal government that that will continue for another 90 days, which will give us some more breathing room in terms of continuing to utilize these uh, extended parameters to create more access to telehealth and telemedicine services so that virtual care can continue to grow and be a big part of how we reach our populations, whether it's underserved populations, rural populations, or those who are dealing with uh, chronic disease management or others that need to stay at home and receive uh, services via remote patient monitoring or other types of services available through telemedicine or telehealth. Certainly. I, I, this is a, a, an area that is, is very important to me and I think important to most of us um, at Elevate because it involves our, our parents and involves ourselves as we, as we age. The care of our elderly population in Louisiana is a significant issue. For years, we have focused on nursing home and institutional care rather than at-home care for individuals, making it very difficult as people age for them to, to age in place, in their homes, in their communities, and instead rely on institutions that many of us don't want. We don't want to go to an institution as we age. And not having those additional options has made it very difficult for us as caregivers as well as, as individuals to find places that work for individuals in terms of providing care at home as well as um, finding nursing homes that have good quality and that um, can provide the types of services that we want as we age. Um, Elevate remains committed to finding and promoting policies and solutions that ensure that we care for this vulnerable population as they age. We want to have solutions that allow us to have choices as, as we get older. There, it's not to say that nursing homes aren't, aren't needed. We know nursing homes are needed, but they don't need to be the only choice in the state. And there have been many um, reasons that we haven't been able to expand our options um, in for the elderly population. Um, some of them are political reasons. Some of them are, are you know, just the fact that it, it takes a lot of funding. Um, you know, 
as, as we have this population that is growing in our state and growing nationally, you need more funding to be able to provide those options. So we want to have options for people where they can, you know, get care at home, where they can go to programs like PACE, which is an all-inclusive program for the elderly, which allow um, individuals to go to um, centers during the day and then then come at home at night so that they're not having to have institutional care all of the time. Again, care that most of us don't want. We don't want that institutional care. So it is an extremely um, big issue, like I said, for most of us. Um, any of you that have worked to try and find places or, or options for your parents um, understand how difficult this is in Louisiana. And I believe very strongly and, and Elevate believes that there are policies and, and programs that can work. Um, there are ways to get additional funding into the system so that we can provide those options for, for those individuals. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've watched um, as at least for the last four or five years that bills have been brought to try to expand access to in-home care, um, you know, long-term care, end of life. Not even just end of life, but you know, sometimes this can go on for five years for a person. I mean, it's not like hospice, it's long-term care. And I see these bills kind of, you know, die in committee every year. Heck, I think last year there was a bill just to have the situation studied that got killed in committee by one of the chairmen of one of the committees. So it's really been kind of surprising. What do you attribute that to? Well, a lot of it is, you know, nursing homes have been the standard of care, the status quo for many, many years. It's hard for nursing homes to make that change, for, for people to understand that there are better options out there, that there are ways to fund uh, a program that does provide in-home care without jeopardizing the nursing home system. I think that, that the nursing home feels very threatened by any changes to that status quo and have, have mounted pretty big um, offenses to, to assure that that doesn't happen. Again, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that we're in a, in a battle with nursing homes. It's simply that we need to look at what options are available, how we can get additional funding into the system, and, and most importantly, how we can get additional at-home options available for people. It can can be done. It just will take some political will as, as well as some good policy ideas that um, will allow us to, to provide those, those additional options. And Kathy, if I may, I'll, I'll, I'll chime in really quick. Um, I did uh, hear that the Louisiana Department of Health has in its strategic plan uh, looked to try to implement the Louisiana Long-Term Personal Care Services Program. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but um, it's just part of their plan for fiscal year uh, 2022, uh, where uh, it's, it's focused on the elderly or the physically disabled adults who either do not need to go to a nursing home or are being discharged from a nursing home so that these individuals can have some level of care and just more um, personal services for them to be able to take care of themselves at home or with a, a loved one um, at their at their house as well. Yeah, the department is under a, actually a settlement agreement that they have with 
for the Department of Justice to assure that more people are transitioned out of nursing homes, especially right. those um, with mental health needs and others that don't belong in nursing homes. And they put a lot of efforts into, into that initiative. Also in their business plan, they do have a request for additional PACE programs, the program I was talking about earlier, the program for all-inclusive care for the elderly. That is also in their business plan. Again, those are great options. We need more, but those, those are great, those are great starts to, to um, you know, to making those options available. Well, and, and it's a particularly bad time in nursing homes right now because I know when um, I have a close family member who had to go into a nursing home for a little while, more or less for rehabilitation, but she couldn't be visited by anybody um, because of COVID. So I felt like, gosh, this is going to set her back losing touch with her reality of all the people she's close to, you know? Um, and you know, I wanted to mention though, a lot of people um, will, will say, well, a lot of the efforts that go on legislatively are only addressing the Medicaid population and that they don't necessarily go out to everyone. So if we were to pass uh, more at-home care, it would be for the Medicaid population. And one of my arguments why that would still move the needle for so many of us that are not in that system is that Quite frankly, if you establish a, a lot more providers out there that can go into homes, it would make long-term care in your home a lot more accessible to people that, that might not be in the Medicaid system and just can't even find the help because it's not that easy to find in the first place. Absolutely. And, and of course, we do have, and there are additional options where people have individual funds where they can, per, you know, provide for a sitter, purchase 24-hour care, they do have additional options. However, so, some people, I mean, even though they seemingly have, have means, when it comes to providing that level of care, they don't have enough funds. And so some individuals that may not originally qualify for Medicaid, as these programs become available, more home programs become available, they do qualify because of that, you know, the excessive need that they may have. And so they actually end up qualifying for some of the long-term personal care services or some of the other at-home services that you wouldn't typically think an individual would qualify for. Yeah, because you still need to have help providing those services because when people don't, you think, oh, $15 an hour, that's about $30,000 a year. No, because that's an eight-hour workday and we're talking about 24 hours a day. Right. Well, so, and that's kind of where I think telemedicine, telehealth services potentially could be that bridge, uh, that, you know, to bridge that gap between having someone come physically and sit in an in individual's home, telesitting, remote, you know, remote patient monitoring, again, are things that are really uh, booming right now um, in terms of trying to create access to care that is hard to get right now because of, again, the workforce shortages and also just the lack of uh, reimbursement and other things that go into trying to get that care to the level that is needed for it's really not just about, you know, making sure that we have, you know, home services available. It's all that other stuff that are the alternatives, like you said, the remote monitoring. And also it's even about things like um, long-term care reform is also about trying to make sure people understand what options may be available for them in future, for the future, including purchasing long-term care insurance. We don't have a high, a high percentage of individuals in this state that have long-term care insurance. And this is something, especially for middle income uh, Americans that can be very, very helpful to assuring that they have options when they're, they're when, when they reach that age. 
So again, it's not just about, you know, that, you know, yes, we want alternatives to nursing home, but it's really a more comprehensive view of how we can, if we can reform our long-term care in this state. Well, that feeds back to one of my new favorite topics, which is financial literacy, which we won't go into, but so many people don't understand or are they're never trained in all the risks that go on throughout a person's life and making sure that you have the right insurances in place to cover those things. Um, and as a CPA, that's something that like I'm trained to think about, you know, so we have long-term care insurance, but I, I couldn't, I, I can't, in my direct family, I probably couldn't find another person that I know um, that has it. Um, well, kind of moving from that topic a little bit, you know, we kind of opened up the show with healthcare access. And, you know, I was just having this conversation, and I think Kathy and Tracy, you'd be just the right ones to, to know, but what was our un, uninsured population prior to Medicaid expansion, and what is it now, roughly, just kind of ballpark as a percentage? There was a significant expansion. I just will say, I mean, obviously, a Medicaid expansion to give Medicaid uh, coverage to uh, individuals across the state is very important, uh, but I also would say that Medicaid in general continues to be uh, funded at a lower level. So it's still there is a, still a significant gap between what the cost of a service is versus what Medicaid actually reimburses for that yeah. service. So um, you know, even though we're getting there a little bit in terms of trying to provide some coverage, which is a, a big need, especially for the, um, you know, the low income and needy populations that we have uh, across the state. But, um, you know, there is still some uh, monetary needs and funding that should uh, be available at, you know, at some level to try to close that gap so that hospitals and other care providers can continue to, to provide the care at a, at a quality accessible level. Yeah, and, and I did find my statistics on it. They, we were we were about at twenty percent uninsured ten years ago, um, and of course since Medicaid expansion as well as other efforts, we're below ten percent uninsured for adults. Now children, we've always actually done fairly well with children in Louisiana because we covered legit, you know, through the uh, legit program and other programs. Right. So it's not a whole big difference there, but cutting in half the number of uninsured is pretty significant and it's one of the one of the best states for for reducing the uninsured population so what do you think are the real like the big barriers to healthcare access in louisiana you want to you know, go ahead <laughs> I would, you know, one of the things that we have that are is a big challenge for louisiana is the way in which our populations are dispersed i mean we have a lot of rural areas in louisiana so it's very difficult for those individuals living in those rural areas to gain access to care. So that is, I think, a big barrier for us. Um, we have a barrier in terms of our broadband right now, uh, I think. And the uh, recently, the Louisiana has really identified broadband as a big issue. And uh, the Broadband Development Connectivity Office was opened and introduced to try to uh, create a more comprehensive broadband infrastructure to enable connectivity across the state. Uh, so I think that we are uh, you know, looking at that to try to not only get into people's homes across the state, 
but also to create access um, from education to healthcare to those individuals uh, living in those rural areas of our state. We're also a, a poverty-stricken state as well, unfortunately. Um, so there's a lot of disparity with that, um, a lot of um, you know, inequities in terms of our healthcare and where our access is. Um, so barriers for a lot of individuals who are um, impoverished and don't have the means necessary to go and, and get the care that they need. So uh, I, I would say two, that's two. Um, obviously workforce is another big issue. Um, in our state that we that we already covered. Kathy, is there anything else that you can- No, I mean, you know, that, those were the areas, I think that clearly the top areas. I think you also have an issue. You have a population, as we talked about, it's an impoverished population. Their, their focus is not necessarily on preventative healthcare, right? I mean, that's what we want everybody to focus on. We know right. that makes a difference. But when you're worried about where your next meal is, is coming from, when you're worried about, you know, getting to work and, and, and providing for your family on a daily basis, the, the preventative health care gets way down on the list. Um, and, 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 you know, we did talk about the rural area. One of the biggest issues in the rural area is just transportation. You know, we have an ability through Medicaid to pay for transportation, but we struggle getting providers that are out there that can, you know, go to those rural areas, pick up somebody, bring them, you know, 60 miles to a hospital or to a, a clinic and back. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not an easy task to, to find transportation in, in those rural areas. But I think you de definitely hit on I mean, the, the, the rurality of our, of, our, of our state as well as, you know, the broadband issue, not being able to access telehealth um, for those individuals makes it, makes it really difficult for access. And of course, workforce. Workforce is so big and it's not, you know, one of the, one of the biggest issues in workforce has to do with mental health workforce. There's a lot of people that need mental health um, access and can't get it because we have a real, um, you know, problem in terms of, of mental health practitioners in the state. We, it's extremely difficult to, to find those providers. Absolutely. You know, when, when you talk about mental health, it makes me think about telehealth, okay? Because mm -hmm. there's an area where you can certainly go sit down with a mental health professional and have a conversation, uh, you know, a therapeutic conversation. Um, pretty easily. And I noticed that one, when COVID first happened, so like, you know, that second quarter of 2020, mm -hmm. telehealth had just blossomed. I mean, I was able to go to doctors in five <laughs> minutes. It was amazing. But I noticed that it's kind of tamped back, you know, and that people don't want to see you in a telehealth setting anymore. What's what I know that we did some things to open up telehealth a bit. What did we do and what can we do to make it better? But like, I'm thinking about a consultation that I'm going to next week and he's literally not going to like have to see any part of my body, but yet I have to go over there and sit there and wait for 30 minutes and see him and then go through the drive in there to get ready. What's the deal? Well, some providers still, despite the fact that we've opened it up and gave, given lots of different options, they're still not comfortable with it. They, they prefer to see you face to face. And until we, we, we work on, on getting more providers that are comfortable with it, and, and in addition, it's sometimes not just a provider. The, the individuals uh, have, have difficulty accessing, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a 
internet, we talked about the broadband, but it's not just that. It's sometimes it's just the literacy of knowing how to do a telehealth visit that makes people uncomfortable. So you have the provider who's not necessarily comfortable and there, there are quite a few of those. And then you have the, the patient that is also not, you know, not totally comfortable in how to use it. I, I like you, Julie, think that though it is an answer for so many issues. I mean, whether it's the rural access or, or just the fact that, I mean, look, if I'm a mental health practitioner, I can, you know, I can see patient after patient after patient via telehealth without having to, you know, you know, worry about, you know, sort of time, time that people are traveling there and all of that, you know, you, you, you don't, you, you, even things like, you know, people being late for appointments, you know, they're much more likely to be on time on a telehealth visit. So anyhow. Or no shows. I mean, you can you can contact somebody through through the video and get them to immediately you know be there for your appointment. But we do have a lot of work to do in terms of, like I said, making people more comfortable. And and uh, Tracy mentioned uh, the new office of broadband. Venith is is um, who, who is over that office is really trying to do some innovative things to mm -hmm. help help people you know be more comfortable. We we did a survey on telehealth. We actually have done three of them, and one of the biggest barriers is people feeling comfortable with the technology and having the technology, having the actual broadband and not have it, you know, glitch in and out on you while you're, while you're trying to do it. Because that, that ends up frustrating people and then they don't want to do it again. So right. he's working on some innovative things to, to rectify some of those issues as well. Right. And Julie, I'll just say as well, there are, uh, although we do have a lot of flexibilities and waivers in place, there are still some um, restrictions that require an in-person visit for the initial visit to then have the coverage and other uh, requirements met um, under the regulations for telehealth and telemedicine as they stand currently. There are so many uh, pieces of legislation right now that are in uh, various stages in Congress that are trying to make these waivers and flexibilities permanent because right now, one of the issues too is that they are contingent upon the continuation of the public health emergency. At, at some level and therefore there is some uncertainty as to whether or not these waivers and flexibilities that allow this expansion of uh, these virtual care capabilities will continue to exist. So a lot of I think providers are looking at this and saying this is a great uh, thing to do. We want to invest in this but what if we invest and we expand these programs and then these waivers and flexibilities go away? Um, yeah. What will that do for me and the way in which I'm providing services? So um, I, I think that within the next year, we're probably going to get a lot more answers to this and a lot more structure around it where we can uh, look to see more growth in this area, as I do believe, as, as was indicated by you and by Kathy, this is a major growth point and, and need for Louisiana as well as for others across the country to try to get the services that are vitally needed for populations. Well, and, uh, we talked about um, workforce, you know, and um, you did this movement in the country that we're kind of going through right now, and a lot of people have dubbed the Great Resignation, it, it's, it's kind of amazing to me. Um, you know, I, 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 have, I have a spectrum of thought and feeling on it all the way from well, you know, people are just fed up 
And also they've got kids at home that they can't send to school, they can't send to childcare, they've got childcare issues, they've got low pay issues, poor work conditions issues, and then all the way to how are these people making it? Because you still have to pay your bills. So how does it work, you know? But I mean, regardless of why it's happening, it certainly is a very real issue that we're dealing with. And, you know, when I talk to people at some of the biggest health systems in our state, and I hear the issues with having to postpone, you know, elective scans even, you know, and, and, and certainly procedures that are elective. Um, and people think, oh, elective, it must be like you know, plastic surgery or something. No, a lot of times something elective seems pretty daggum necessary <laughs> when you're it, on the other side. A stand is considered elective, right? I mean, in yeah. some cases it is. Right. And it's not elective, but it, right. that, that they do postpone those type of surgeries. As a, you know, as a, as a cancer survivor, you know, you worry about the impact of this work shortage or employee shortage, you know, on people in early detection, you know, and how many cases are going to slip by. Well, and I can tell you one of the things that is happening with the younger workforce, because I have children that are, you know, in the workforce that are, you know, in their 30s, and they have recognized that they can work, work remotely, right? And that there's, there's lots of options for remote work that weren't available before. So for, for all of my kids, I mean, they, are, they have focused on finding remote options, which again leaves shortages in other areas like people that have to go in to do the scans and to do these right. you know these uh, you know and service organizations we know restaurants you know all of those organizations people don't want to do that anymore I can find a job you know working at home and and, um, and be there for my child and those type of things and not have to worry about it so I, I, I find that that I, I had a very interesting conversation with my son and daughter-in-law the other day that just talked about just that they they will they, they're both working remotely from home and they have no desire to do anything but that and will pursue jobs that I'm one of them is pharmacists Right? He's a pharmacist that typically would be in a pharmacy, but no, he's working from home doing, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's doing, he does, you know, um, electronic records and other things, I mean, but using his pharmacy degree in a different way and yeah. loves it. So, yeah. anyhow. And I will say, I did, uh, I think y'all probably aware, last, uh, last session, the legislature passed the HERO Act, uh, which is to really help fund and aid the, the nursing profession in particular. I think it's a five-year fund that started uh, August of last year. So I know that Louisiana is, is looking to uh, try to find ways to address this issue, uh, but we have to look kind of across the spectrum as well because um, we have not only a shortage of, of our caregivers and providers, but also our uh, teachers, you know, uh, nursing, uh, you know, professors and, and people that are um, the ones that, that teach these individuals and allow our, um, our nursing workforce to grow and be created within our state are very um, limited right now. And so the, the, the amount of individuals that are able to um, get into nursing school and, and then graduate depends on, you know, what kind of faculty you have available and, and that's low. So it's just kind of a, it, I, think it, I do think there's going to be a big shift in terms of 
salaries and other benefits to get people back that, right. that into the actual jobs, not, you know, again, kind of like my son, for him to go back into another position, he would, that, that would, he would need to be in person for it. It would have to be a, a big, a lot of incentives there for him. Right. And so I think you're going to end up seeing some of that shift as, I mean, you've seen it already, like I said, in some of the service industries where these big bumps in terms of salaries and other benefits for those. And I think you're going to continue to see that in nursing and other healthcare professionals so that you can get some of those individuals to come back into the workforce that have decided, I want to do something else. Right. And I think that's great for those organizations that can, that can afford it. Right. But it's, where does that leave those? Yeah, I know. It's going to be difficult. Or other organizations that are, um, you know, serving the Medicaid or un uninsured populations that can't afford to, to pay those big bonuses to make the incentives that are necessary to get the people back into the, into the hospital or other care settings. So it's kind of a slippery slope there. You know, it's, it's good to have competition, and I think that you know it's it's we need to incentivize them some way. But at the same time, there is some downside to it. Um, at, you know, at some level that we need to address that that, that we don't uh, destroy you know the opportunities for those entities that may not have the ability to pay those types of higher wages or or benefits or uh, incentives. Yeah. So, so have y'all heard anything about what the legislature, if the legislature is thinking about doing anything that can help the workforce shortage in healthcare? I mean, I'm, I'm not aware of anything. I, I, you know, the only thing that I'm aware of, um, I know there has been a push for, for a certain, um, uh, for instance, in developmental disabilities, there was um, through the Joint Medicaid Oversight Committee, there was a big push because they were having such difficulty finding individuals to work in their daycare programs as well as in the residential programs. And um, part of some of the funds that were, the federal funds that came down, they did end up uh, um, sort of using some of those the legislature made an initiative to the department basically saying to use some of those funds mm -hmm. to help with some of those workplace shortages but that's my only you know and again that's a small segment of, of the population but I do know they did um, put some things in place some bonuses or some other um, funding that went to help help with that workforce shortage in developmental disabilities. Right. Well yeah. and I'll just add I know uh, this is in the past but in the last few years the legislature has passed uh, legislation to enable Louisiana to join the nursing licensure compact, medical licensure compact, as well as the physician licensure compact, which allows reciprocity with other states so that, you know, physicians can come into our state, hopefully, and, and nurses as well, and uh, provide services to our citizens uh, without that really sometimes burdensome licensure uh, process that they would have to go through otherwise. Yeah, awesome. Well, you know, I, I'd like to close by just hearing from each of you, and you've both really devoted your life to professions that are, you're inherently champions of healthcare, you know, and the alleviation of healthcare disparities. And I mean, what, what, what do you see your call? What, what does your call look like in this job? You know, I, I think for me, I'll go ahead and start, Kathy. Uh, you know, early on in my career, even before I went to law school, um, I worked for a large consulting firm out of DC focusing on healthcare and on best practices for healthcare and for hospitals and health systems. And, you know, I, I saw at that point that, you know, 
the healthcare industry, you know, it is so complicated and so complex, but the other side of things, it's, it's a necessity for each and every individual um, to be able to live a, um, a life, you know, without um, those illness or, or other things that, that may um, burden them without um, the care that they need. So I, I think for me, you know, I see the struggle that providers uh, go through to balance the business of healthcare versus the real, I think, heart of it, which is really care um, and, you know, quality and affordable and accessible care to individuals who need it um, to, to, to live their lives. So as I moved into law school, I, I really focused on wanting to be a healthcare attorney um, and then moving into advocacy work um, for a nonprofit that had a strong mission in providing care to um, those that are underinsured and uninsured um, in areas that were very rural. I mean, you talked about uh, transportation being a huge issue. Uh, we had individuals, uh, patients that would ride their bicycles to our, our clinics to try to get the care that they need. Um, here in Louisiana, it's just a huge issue. So I've come to uh, this, I guess, calling, as you said, um, because it is uh, it is such a, an issue uh, for our state, but yet there are so many people that are wanting and willing to, to reach across the aisles and work together to resolve it. So I think with uh, kind of interaction and working together, we can all um, look towards a, a brighter future and hopefully better strategies and policies that will enable our state to grow um, and really become a better foundation um, in the healthcare industries for our citizens uh, just across the state. Uh, I'm a social worker. Um, that's my, my background. So, um, you know, I, I've always felt like from a very young age that, you know, people just need an opportunity. You know, they need support, whether that's financial or emotional support to be able to improve their quality of life. I worked for many, many years with people with developmental disabilities and learned so much from that field in terms of, uh, you know, the, the provision of just a little bit of support can help people become independent, help them be, become, um, you know, um, financial contributors to their community as well as emotional contributors to their community and that just again a little bit of support can go a very very long way in improving people's quality of life and so that that's sort of where my background came from was just you know being able to provide a little bit of that so that people can improve their quality of life at this point like I said, I've worked with, with people with developmental disabilities, people with behavioral health issues. My current focus is long-term care and making sure people as they age um, can, can get that same quality of life with that little bit of support that they need. And that's, that's my calling is, is being able to try and provide wherever possible advocacy so that people can, can, can improve their quality of lives, whatever, whatever that may be. Well. Kathy, Tracy, thank you so much for being with us thank today. You. Thank you for your service to Elevate. I mean, you guys were in as founding members and you're both on the board and um, you're both just dynamic, incredible women that I'm very excited to work with. Um, so thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Great, great opportunity. Looking forward to it. Awesome. Thank you.
For those of you listening, if you're interested in joining Elevate or seeing more of our video casts or podcasts, visit our website at elevatela.org. That's Elevate with two L's, E-L-L-E-V-A-T-E-L-A.org. Actually, I think that name was Tracy's idea. <laughs> well, I am, you know, uh, a, a French, uh, you know, the French language has always been a, a passion of mine. So I studied yeah. abroad twice. So I guess uh, <laughs> it's a little bit help there. <laughs> so thank you so much. Um, visit our website for upcoming events and to get involved. I'm your host, Julie Stokes, and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.